As Joel was said, please uh, you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. We are continuing in our series through Genesis this morning, and we'll be looking at the entirety of this chapter together. So if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen above me, and you can follow along in that way. So Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night here in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before the dawn, or I'm sorry, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. So they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved." He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. 
Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went out early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's no man on earth to come into us as the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went out and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she rose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the offspring of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she rose. Thus, both the daughters of the lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn, a son, and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is the word of God. Well, church, uh, our passage this morning, as we just read, is an intense one. The, the content of these verses probably, and, and rightfully so, is a little unsettling to us. Uh, this, this chapter, it speaks of things that makes us uneasy to say out loud. If, uh, if, if Genesis 19 were, were a movie, um, probably not, Genesis, not PG-13, probably R, at least, right? And, uh, and I don't know that any of us would go see that movie. Um, so we, we have to ask, why is this chapter in the Bible? Why is there a chapter in the Bible that we have to warn parents about before we preach it? Well, part of the answer is that God's word speaks to the reality of the world that we live in. And it, it does not sugarcoat things either. It, it does not speak only to new aspects of life that make us feel comfortable or encourage us or, or make us feel good about life. God's word also speaks to the darkness of this world and the realities of, of sin and its effects. A few people were, were kind of lightheartedly joking with me before the, the, the message this morning and and saying, uh, what would I feel about getting the short end of the stick and being assigned to preach the passage of Sodom and Gomorrah? And, uh, and, and, and it's true. This is, a, this is a rough chapter. It's a dark chapter. And, and in this darkness, there is a strong warning to us and a sobering challenge to us. But church, in that darkness, 
there is also a great brightness. And there is, there is much in this passage that I think is going to give us hope and reason for joy this morning. And so I'm, I'm excited for what God has for us uh, from this chapter. Here's the, here's the main idea in Genesis 19, is that God is both great in his judgment and he is great in his mercy. God is both great in his judgment and great in his mercy. And we're going to see this to be true by looking at, at three things this morning. First, we'll see the, the wickedness of Sodom. Then we'll see Lot's resistance to rescue. And third, we'll see God's unrelenting mercy. So first, the wickedness of Sodom. Before we jump into the details of this passage, let me recap quickly for us where we left off last week. In chapter 18, the, the Lord, along with his two angels, appeared to Abraham as they were on their way to bring judgment to the city of Sodom. And at the end of this interaction, we see Abraham uh, standing before the Lord, putting himself before the Lord and pleading for mercy on behalf of Lot and his family, that, that they may be saved from this coming destruction. And now in chapter 19, this is kind of part two of that story from last week. And it, it begins with these two angels now arriving at the city of Sodom. And we know that their purpose is to bring judgment to this city, which, which we are told their sins are very great. And as they arrive at the city gates, they are met by Lot. And, and just as, as Abraham had done the previous chapter, Lot shows these angels hospitality by inviting them into his home, offering them a place to stay, offering them a meal. But then we see in verse 2 that at first the, the angels are, are hesitant um, and they require persuasion from Lot before finally agreeing to come into his house. And now the, the reason for their hesitancy is not super clear from this text, but, but what is clear is that they stand in sharp contrast to Lot, who had, who had left the land that God had promised him, and, and, and who had led now, moved to this wicked city, and had made his life a part of this city. And while the angels were, were hesitant to venture deeper into the city, Lot had made this place his home. And so whatever the full reason for their hesitancy, the, 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 the angels finally agree to come to the house. And, and it's here that the, the real drama of this story starts to unfold. It says in verses 4 through 5, The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all of the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, the ESV Bible, which is the translation that we're reading from, uh, describes this situation in relatively mild terms. Because what's happening this moment is that the, the men of the city have gathered around this house and they're demanding the release of these two men who, who are guests in their city. And they are demanding the release of these men so that they can, as a collective group, rape these men. That's what's happening in this moment. It is a disturbing scene. The, the evil at play here is very real. 
and should leave us no question about the depravity of the city and the, and the righteousness of God's judgment that is coming upon them. But before we go on here, I want to take a moment to address, I think, a very real danger that we as the church can face when we come to passages like this. Because there's a temptation to look at this story and see the wickedness of Sodom and feel a self-righteousness about ourselves. Sodom is often spoken of as kind of the the height of moral corruption and rejection of God. And and we might want to feel comfortable and and, and see ourselves as as far removed from such corruption. Surely we are not perfect, but we are not Sodom, right? And and we would love to place ourselves in an entirely different category than Sodom. And these people, and and, and the the judgment of God that they are deserving of. When we think of Sodom, I think that for a lot of us, and this was definitely true for me growing up, uh, we primarily think of Sodom as a, a wicked city because of their rampant sexual sin. And that it was the extent of their sexual sin and specifically the, the sin of homosexuality that, that God brought destruction and judgment on them. And now to be clear, I, I do believe that sexual sin is, is part of the reason behind God's judgment of them. And I, I do believe that homosexuality is included in part of this judgment um, scripture has much to say about these things. and In fact, next month we're going to be uh, preaching a sermon on the topic of homosexuality and sexual sin and, and what God's word says about these things. But the central theme of Genesis 19 is by no means primarily about the sexual sin of the city. There is a lot of other things going on here in this text. And I've I've very much been challenged myself this week as, I, as I've studied Scripture and seen other places in God's Word that speak about Sodom and these events. And one of these is, is in Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel wrote this concerning the wickedness of Sodom. And this might surprise us this morning, given the passage we just read. But he says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. And when he says sister of Sodom, he's referring not to the women of Sodom, but he's referring to the city of Sodom and the surrounding cities. He says, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. Now, there are places in the Bible that speak of the sexual sin of Sodom and for sure that contributed to the wickedness of the city. But when Ezekiel speaks of the reason behind God's judgment of the city, sexual sin is not even mentioned. What is mentioned is pride and the fact that Sodom was prosperous and they did not help those who were in need. They were haughty, they were arrogant. Remember the theme of last week, which is um, which this passage is a continuation of, which was of hospitality and the, the seriousness of failing to be a generous and hospitable people. These things strike closer to home, right? Because now we're, we're talking about pride. We're talking about lack of generosity. 
We're talking about turning a blind eye to those around us who are in need, not caring for the poor. We're talking about buying into the values of of our affluent culture and, and prioritizing a life of ease and comfort and entertainment rather than giving ourselves to the needs of those around us. And who here can say that that we are innocent of these things? None of us. And and I say this not not to condemn, but rather to remind us that that God's word does not allow us to, to place ourselves upon a pedestal and declare ourselves as righteous compared to others who don't live up to a particular moral code. To do this is its own form of of pride and haughtiness. And and, and furthermore, far too often, we think of sin as as only something wrong that we do. And sometimes we like to take a particular type of sin and pretend that that is the one that is most serious and then say, well, well, I don't do that. And then we feel good and comfortable about ourselves. But God's word would challenge that assumption. God's word declares that sin is is not only the wrong that we do, but also the good that we do not do. As serious to God is the sin of pride, of considering ourselves better than those around us, of the sin of indifference to the needs of others in our life. Friends, this world is a broken place, but it's not only broken because of wrong that is done, but it's broken because there is need all around us and we so often do nothing to help. Dave Orland, in his book, Gentle, Gentle and Lonely, speaks of sin in this way. He says, the fall has ruined me, all of me, including my emotions. Fallen emotions not only sinfully overreact, they also sinfully underreact. How often do we find ourselves seeing the needs of others around us and, but find ourselves too busy to help alleviate those needs? How often do we turn a blind eye to the injustices around us? How often do we tell someone that we will, we will pray for them and really have no intent on following through with that? How often do we make excuses for why, why should we not be a generous, hospitable people like God calls us to? How often do we let bitterness and anger and pride toward a loved one hold us back from being the friend or the spouse or the neighbor that they need us to be? This world is a dark and a broken place. And it's because our hearts are hard and unloving and because we do not act. And these are the things that are deserving of the wrath of God. The sin of Sodom should be a sobering thing to us, church. The the judgment of God on the city was right and just. But our response to this text cannot be, look at the sins of these people, as if somehow the, the sins of others stand apart as worthy of God's judgment and us as guiltless in comparison. Instead, God would have us to look inward at our own lives and see our own need for his mercy. Because it is only by the mercy of God that we do not meet the same end as Sodom. And this, is, this, this need for God's grace and mercy, 
it highlights now as we continue to our second point this morning, which is Lot's resistance to rescue. So returning now to our, to our passage and to this story, we, uh, we see that despite the crowd's efforts to break into Lot's home, the, the angels protected this family and, and no harm was done to them throughout the night, at least no physical harm. But now in verse 15, the text arrives, or the next day arrives, and the angels now are preparing to bring judgment upon this city. And verse 15 and 16 says, As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Take up your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand and the Lord being merciful to him and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Now friends, I don't know about you, but if I had just had the night that Lot and his family had had, I would not need a whole lot of convincing to leave this city. Right? Like, I would not have wanted to have spent one more second in this city. But the text says that Lot lingered. He knew of the destruction that was coming. He was well aware of the sin around him and the effects that that sin had just had on his family and his participation in that sin this night. And he lingered. This is incredible. I mean, what more convincing did Lot and his family need to flee from this city and the danger that they were in? But church, this is how it is with sin. This week I was, I was reading about a, a particular type of jellyfish that, that preys on smaller fish. And the, the interesting thing about this particular jellyfish is it, it captures these little fish in these little compartments of water inside of itself. And then it just kind of goes on its way throughout the day and it, 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 it eats the fish later on in the day. And so these fish can actually live inside of this jellyfish, being kept alive by the water inside of it, not realizing that they are in a death trap. And this is kind of the situation that Lot finds himself in. And this is so often the situation that we find ourselves in as well. We can, we can let sin creep into our lives and allow it to allure us in, pull us deeper and deeper into its grip. And we can grow comfortable with sin in our lives. And this is what Lot had done. See, see for Lot... Instead of delighting himself in the ways of God, he had wandered far from God and into the city of Sodom. Back in, in chapter 13, we remember, we remember that when, when Lot and Abraham had separated, Lot chose to venture away from the promised land and, and more towards the wicked cities of that day. And over the years, he'd become more and more entrenched in the, sin, in the sin around him. And then in chapter 19, we find him sitting at the gates of Sodom. And the question for us is, is, where are there areas in our lives where we have grown comfortable with sin? Or maybe not comfortable with it, but, but resigned to it. And, and unwilling to follow Jesus out of the darkness and into life and life in obedience to him. Perhaps for you, that, that sin is the sin of, of anger. And you are, you are harboring bitterness or resentment towards a friend or a spouse. 
and you will not let go of it. And you know the sorrow that it's causing and the damage it's causing to your relationships, but you cling to that that bitterness, unwilling to hand it over to God. Perhaps it's a sin of addiction and you've given yourself to substances or pornography or countless hours of of Netflix and and you've allowed these things to control you and, and eat away at your soul and joy. And that little bit of of temporary satisfaction is enough to keep you from trusting God to satisfy you apart from these things. Perhaps it is the sin of sexual immorality and you're living in ways that you know that God has forbidden, but you you convince yourself it's it's not that big of a deal. Nobody really seems to be getting hurt and you you just keep believing everything is going to be okay. Whatever it is, church, The clear call from this passage regarding sin in our lives is to flee from it. We cannot grow comfortable with sin. We cannot deceive ourselves into thinking that God does not see it or that God will not move against it. In our passage this morning, we see the sobering story of Lot's wife who chose not to flee from the dangers of sin. We see this in, in, in verse 17. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And then jumping forward to verse 24. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, there are different interpretations as to what exactly happened to Lot's wife in this moment. Some, some suggest that, that Lot's wife simply looked back as God had commanded them not to do, and that God transformed her into a pillar of salt. God certainly could have done this. I think another explanation is that that she lingered behind, as the text says. It says she was behind Lot. And she she looked back longingly at this city. And and her her reluctance to follow God out of danger, she was consumed by the fire and the sulfur that God brought brought down on Sodom. And her being turned into a a pillar of salt referred to her being covered in a a layer of salt that would have been left by the sulfur and the fire over all the land. I think this last explanation makes the most sense to me. But but either way, Lot's wife and, and her body consumed in this judgment, it stood as a testimony to the dangers of clinging to our sin. And 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 the, the ways of this fallen world. She had grown comfortable with sin. And she was resentful to God for calling her out of sin and into life and life. And this cost her her life. Church, there's a very real warning in these verses. And that is to flee from sin. Where you see sin in your life, run from it, church. Are there situations where you are tempted towards sin? Guard yourself against those, church. Guard yourself in those moments. Is there sin in your marriage? Is there sin that you've never confessed? Is there sins that you're finding to be more prevalent in your life? Confess these sins. 
Confess them first to God, but also to one another, to those that you trust who will lead you away from them, who will take your hand like these angels, lead you away from that sin, and will point you towards God. God is right to judge sin. And even if in, in this life he does not bring down fire and sulfur from heaven on our sins, the consequences of those sins are still real, both for us and for those who are close to us. We actually see this at the end of our passage, which is a, a very sad ending to our story. Where even after Lot escapes, the, the consequences of his sin circle back to him. We see his two daughters who, who Lot had cowardly offered up to this mob back at the house. We see that they ended up getting Lot drunk and violating him in this dark cave at the end of our story. These are sobering verses, church. This is a dark chapter in God's word. And it's uncomfortable to speak about these things. But these words are written for us. They serve as an important warning about the seriousness of sin and the reality of God's judgment and the call to flee from that sin in our lives. But maybe you're hearing all of this this morning so far, and, and this is only a discouraging thing for you. Because maybe you've, you've tried, uh, you are aware of, of sin and weakness in your life, and your, your seemingly inability to change. And maybe you're, you're tired of trying to obey. Or maybe you've never even confessed your sins to God and you're afraid to because you're, you aren't sure that he will even forgive you. Well, if this is where you are this morning, then Genesis 19 is not yet done speaking. This is where I want now to turn our attention to the great hope of this passage. And that is of God's unrelenting mercy. In verse 29, we see in the judgment and the darkness of this passage that there is great grace and mercy that shines forth and gives us reason for courage and even rejoicing this morning. Verse 29 says, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which he had lived. So here we are, we are brought back again to the previous chapter where, where Abraham had, had stood before God, placed himself in front of God, and, and interceded for mercy on behalf of Lot and his family. And God showed them mercy. The story of Lot is a wonderful picture of the gospel and the amazing grace that God has for his people. And it was God's amazing grace that Lot was even considered among his people. There's this, there's this verse in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Peter, that, that speaks about these events and the salvation of Lot. And I think it is one of the most astounding verses in all of God's word. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says about Lot as he reflects on the story of Sodom. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, 
greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. In case you missed it, Peter just called Lot righteous. Now, if you're me, and you read a verse like this, you're probably thinking that the word righteous and Lot do not belong in the same paragraph together, much less right next to each other in the same sentence. How does Peter get away with saying this? Righteous Lot? What about Lot's life has ever looked righteous? Lot wandered away from the land that God had called him to. He'd entrenched himself in the sin of this wicked city. He had cowardly offered up his daughters to this violent mob. And he basically had to be, he pulled kicking and screaming out of this city before it was destroyed. What about any of this earns him the title righteous? There's something shocking about these words of Peter. And I think that is absolutely intentional. These verses speak to the absolutely astounding mercy of God. And let me be perfectly clear. The Bible is not holding up Lot as a model character to be emulated. All throughout these stories, we see the life of Lot as a warning to us in so many ways. The fact that Lot is spoken of as righteous speaks not to the impressiveness of Lot, not to the character of Lot, but rather to the almost unbelievable grace and mercy of our God who, in spite of our sin, is willing to call us righteous through faith in him. Now, you might ask again, what faith am I talking about? Where do we see evidence of faith in Lot's life? The only reason he was saved is because the angels basically pulled him out of the city. Again, in, in, in verses 15 and 16, as the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, take up your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside of the city. If Lot had been left alone, if he had not been warned, if he had not literally been taken by the hand and pulled out of the city, he would have perished. But God had mercy. And, and Lot did follow him. Barely, right? But he did believe. He was, he was reluctant. He was hesitant. His faith was small. His trust in God was, was all over the place. But God had mercy. And he gave him just even that small amount of faith. Just a small amount of sorrow over sin. And that was enough. And God rescued him and spoke of him as righteous. That is the beauty of the gospel, church. And, that is, and the beauty for us is that Lot's story is our story. 
Every one of us in this room, if we are saved, is because God has stepped down into our lives, broken into our darkness. And as sinful as we are, as reluctant as we are to follow him, he has saved us from danger. He has caused us to see hope in him and pulled us into salvation. And this is all his grace. Are you astounded that Lot would be called righteous? You should be. But you should be more astounded that God has called you righteous. And not only this, you should be more astounded that not only has he called you righteous, but he has done so by taking all the penalty for your sin. All the wrath that you deserve. All the wrath that he poured down on Sodom and he poured it on Christ in order that you might be loved and forgiven and called righteous. The story of Sodom is one of great judgment and great mercy, but it is a foretaste of what we see at the cross. For at the cross that we see the greatest display of God's judgment and mercy. It's at the cross that we see the greatest display of his wrath as he pours it on his son and his redemption as he gives us his son's righteousness. It's at the cross that we see most greatly the the seriousness of our sin, but the greatness of the forgiveness that we have been given. Rising out of the darkness of Genesis 19 is a bright and glorious hope of the gospel and a God who is full of grace. That he is willing to deliver us from the sin that we have found ourselves entrenched in. That he is able to save us from the judgment that we deserve. And that he is gracious to call us righteous because of what Christ has done for us. And do not miss out on what God has for you this morning by failing to understand this passage, Genesis 19, is about us. And you you may be here this morning thinking to yourself, I'm not that great of a sinner. I'm not a resident of Sodom. I don't deserve the judgment that is spoken of in this passage. God's word would say that you are wrong. This passage serves as a warning to us. Apart from the grace of God, we are deserving of the same judgment and sin. I may be here this morning and, and you rightly see yourself as a sinner. You know that you deserve the judgment of God. You know that your name and the name of righteousness do not belong in the same sentence together. But maybe you're here and you think that you are outside of the grasp of God's grace. Well, God's word would say that you too are wrong. Because in Christ, no matter what you have done, No matter how great your sins, he offers forgiveness and strength to walk in obedience. And that in Christ, you can be declared righteous. This is what sets Christianity apart from anything else that you've ever heard. This is what makes the gospel so wonderful, almost unbelievable that mercy and grace like this would exist. But God is great in his judgment, but he is great in his mercy. And his mercy, church, 
should cause us not to run from him, but to run to him, to take refuge in his salvation, to take comfort that he has declared us righteous and to worship him and to sing to him like we're about to go back into and to follow him, to delight in him. This is God's heart for us. This is his heart for us from Genesis 19. Church, receive God's word this morning and this week and run to our God who is full of mercy and worship, delight in him, follow him.